Wait, wait, wait. Actually, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, mate. You ready? Ready. All right, mate. Um, all right, right now, second episode, we're recording uh, remotely this time. I think metaphysically, we're still in Kabir's apartment, but physically, Kabir's in Kabir's apartment, and uh, I'm in Baltimore. Um, anyways, uh, all right. We, uh, so I was thinking about last time when we started off, we talked about what Cheeky Volley was. I feel like we talked about it, like, practically. Like, like we talked about, uh, I don't know, like what it meant, like playing tennis. But I feel like there's also a, uh, I feel like it's also like, like in terms of maybe a little more like the metaphor of the cheeky volley, I was thinking about like, you have like Luxalon strings, but you're like not really ready for the, uh, for the, for the pop, like 14 years old. You like see some like guys playing the real good and they throw people only on the mains and the crosses. Full poly mains and crosses, and you're not ready for it, but you still put it in anyways. And then, uh, and then I was also thinking about like, I feel like cheeky volley's like you've played tennis your entire life, and then like age 12, you also got really into hype beast. <laughs> I feel like like I was thinking, do you know who Eddie Huang is? No. Eddie Huang is like, uh, remember next to IHOP in college, like on 14th Street, there's there's that place Bao B A O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He started that, and then he wrote Fresh Off the Boat, which became a TV show. And he's like, I think he plays tennis, and he's like super into hype. He's always on hype beast. I feel like he's got his own stuff going on. Like he's basically, like him playing tennis to me is like sort of cheeky volley. Uh, interesting. Di- a different spectrum of cheeky volley, I think. Uh-huh. But I get it. All right, you get it. I All right, get it. All right. Anyways, so we've got on one of on my TV. We got the who, who's taking the match? Who's taking Seinfeld? Uh, um, you take the match. All right, so I've got Djokovic Milman on on my side. Kabir's gonna have Seinfeld on on his side, and uh, Mate, how take, we take how we between one through nine? Uh, five. All right, pick a number between one through twenty-two. <laughs> uh, I don't twenty-one. All right, we are watching the Hamptons. Oh, what's what's Hamptons about? Hamptons is probably one of the more famous episodes. This episode where they all, um, Jerry, Kramer, George, Elaine, they all travel to Hamptons to see a baby. Elaine's uh-huh. friend has a baby. Uh-huh. Um, and it's also an episode where George um, is changing. Uh, Jerry's girlfriend opens the door. She sees him. He laughs. And he yells, I was in the pool! <laughs> what uh what do you think Craig DeVore would say about it? Uh Craig is into it. It's a great episode. It's also um I think Matt Miro enjoys this episode a lot. Um shout out Jarflower. One of their songs incorporates the I was in the pool line. It's a great nice. track. Alright, mate, very nice. Alright, a lot to talk about today. We got uh all the uh the quarterfinals to talk about and then looking at the moving into the semis. Um but first. Violation, unsportsmanlike conduct, warning Mr. Macron. Third violation, racket abuse, point penalty, Mr. Macron. Cheeky volley, I'm playing Third my violation, idol. Verbal abuse, default, Mr. Macron. Game set, Macron. Alright, um, alright, so you want to start with Federer, you want to start with, with, 
What match do you want to start with? Let's start with Fed. We could probably dedicate an entire episode to that match. For what the hell happened? Um, just, yeah, I don't know. Alright, what were, what was your, uh, can we start with the, the black, the little black fans first? Yeah, so the black fans, so we'll post a photo on Instagram. Well, dude, those fans, those are the Vornado fans, dude. My dad gets those from the hardware store. That's the small, you know, five and a half, six inch diameter Vornado fan. So, we'll post a photo on the podcast. If you go, you just go to Google, you type in, Federer U.S. Open quarterfinal, you'll see there's a photo, there's multiple photos where he's sitting on changeovers looking, you know, pretty dejected, kind of like he's given up, um, not something you see often. And then in front of him, right by his bag, is obviously a tiny Vornado plug-in fan. Um, I think it's just, it's just so unacceptable. I mean, world-class athletes, biggest tournament of the year, last Grand Slam. Temperature well over 110, you know, for 120. Real fan just because it blocks the view. I I don't know what they're putting there. It's just it's so insufficient. When you look at the Australian Open, one of the hottest tournaments, you should see the technology in their seats. It's a whole seat that has a canopy. It comes down if they want it. It even missed the player just to keep them cool. And U.S. Open is using a plug-in fan. I think it's unacceptable. I mean. This is also part of discussion about the roof. So, uh, the match, we get into it, but, you know, the interview, um, you know, he talks about how much the heat played a role. And he, he says, look, no shame. The heat was there. First time in my career, I couldn't deal with it. There's no shame in that. That's what he said. Um, but, you know, it's, I think this year has been particularly hot. Definitely. Maybe more humid than previous years, but you know what? U.S. Open summertime is always hot. Um, but I think like, that I've seen the. It looks like the uh, like how wet the players' shirts look is like. I don't really remember their shirts ever yeah. looking that wet. I think it's the most humid. But what I'm trying to say is, I think this is just bringing into focus the like, fact that maybe the roof should have never been built. Um, I don't think I don't see why Arthur Ashe needed a roof. Maybe because Australia, Australian Open and Wimbledon have a roof. UST wants to compete. It's because it, it rains at the park. Yeah, it rains, but I mean, do you really, I mean, just post on the match. Um, it's not like all courts have roofs. Um, I guess it adds, it's nice to have a roof, but first thing last year, I noticed, and even a lot of players, there's a lot of the players are saying this, it traps all the noise in. Um, it was really loud. It's really loud. You can hear it on TV. If you go and you sit and sit live, and we were there on Saturday, how loud it is. Uh-huh. That stadium used to be in between points. It used to be silent, and a point finishes, and the crowd roars. Now there's just this constant buzz. Everyone feels like they can just talk, say whatever they want during the match. There's a buzz going on. Pretty annoying. And then it just traps the heat. There's no, there's no circulation there. I know at the top, right above the last seats, they've created these kind of windows that they can open out, but... Maybe it's not working. Maybe there's not enough cool air circulating for that to even have its effect. So, I don't know. This roof, possibly an experiment, but, you know, created with some type of structural or engineering flaw. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's really, um, I just think maybe this is poorly executed. Dude, mate, they got to hire you to, uh, to redesign the roof. <laughs> um, what about, uh, all right, yeah, black fans. What about, really like, um, yeah, I, maybe. I thought Federer looked 
like maybe it was just all the sweat. He looked older than I've ever seen him look on the court. And I, don't, I mean, like his face looked like old. Yeah, it's uh, this is a, this is a tough one. And he he had like what? He was like forty nine percent first serves, which is like yeah. I mean, this, the stats are terrible. That's forty nine percent first serves, seventy seven unforced errors, and this is the one that I think is most ten double faults. Um, uh-huh. the first thing that I thought of when I saw that, I remember. 2006. Third, I think second or third set, he literally just, I mean, he, like, wasn't. Yeah, I mean, look, 2006, Federer Nadal played five sets in Rome back when Masters finals were still best of five. Super hot. Nadal won that match in well over four hours. I remember looking at that stat mm-hmm. at the time. Zero double faults. Mm-hmm. And he hits 10 on this match. Um, something out of, something went terrible. I mean, the last point of the match. He just, I mean, it looked like he, he didn't even, didn't bend, just kind of hit the ball out, almost like giving up. And then, you know, in, in the interview, the second question they asked, how do you feel out there? You know, give us your thoughts on the match. And he, I mean, his exact quote, quote was, you know, I just kind of wanted it to be over. Uh, I think that's maybe the first time he said that. You know, watching the highlights, it kind of seemed like he just wanted to get out there. I think he was just that bad. Um, yeah. yeah. When, uh... Before Federer switched to, like, the, what is it, now he plays with the 98 square-inch head? 97. Or 97. Before he switched to the 97, and he had those, like, two, three years where everyone was like, is it time for him to retire? And then he kind of had his resurgence. Yeah. He, there was times when it felt like he quit on matches. Like, I don't think it's the first, like, this was particularly bad. It looked like he wanted to leave. But I feel like in those few years, like, before he, I, I really feel like it was before he switched frames and while he was getting used to the new frame. Yeah. There, there definitely was, like, was pretty, like, some losses where it was like, oh, his head's not in, he's kind of done. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I feel like the ultimate move is he, if, when he retires, they gotta, I feel like he's, like, the, his branding has been, like, very much, uh, somehow, f- like, like, I feel like they've always had James Bond in mind. I feel like they just need to make him the next James Bond. Yeah, I'm down. I'm definitely down. He's gonna yeah. drive the new Aston Martin DB5. Dude, so chill. Aston Martin DB5. Uh, and then, I feel like tennis would be a part of it. Like, he's on, uh, he's, like, hitting forehands at the Queens Club. He's got, like, like a white sweater on. And they, like, some secret agent comes up to him and, like, he's got to go somewhere. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Dude, so, and then he's got his, like, four twin children in it. It'll be chill. <laughs> Wait, uh, the other thing I want to say is, when I watched the match, the, uh, dude, I feel like usually his dad is looking, like, really good. He's got, like, like a freshly ironed shirt. Fed's dad was looking like, he looked like he's retired as like <laughs> father. He had like a, seriously, look at the humidity in the box. What'd you say? It's the humidity. Dude, I just felt like he was kind of done, dude. I feel like his like eugenics project of having like a son who has two sets of twins worked out really well. And now, uh, and he's, I think he's ready to, to, for everyone to get out of the spotlight, dude. Seriously, I, he looked so not into it. Robert Federer. Maybe we get him on the show. Dude, Bobby Fed. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be incredible. This, this, I think as a, you know, big time, massive Fed fan, this this loss, this was a tough loss. Dude, I, yeah, it was pretty, I mean, for the tournament, it makes things so much less interesting. Yeah. But uh, uh, what about, all right, what about Millman, dude, your boy? He, uh, you sent, you Instagram him after? No, I didn't, but I noticed he's gone... He's gone from about sub 5,000, maybe 4,000 followers to over 15,000 within a night. Every, um, time, every time I tried to text you his name, it kept auto-correcting to Milkman. 
Um, but uh, he uh, what was I say? Look, what Greg, I mean, do you Greg, think him? He's stuck in. Also, wait, let's just give a brief background about Millman and his relationship with Federer. So yeah, yeah. after right. the Paris Masters last year, mm-hmm. um, I think Federer played that tournament, but he was still training. Um, uh-huh. he, uh, this was after Labor Cup, and I think this was before Shanghai, which he played and ultimately won. Uh-huh. But um, after that tournament, he was looking for someone to train with, and Millman lost early, and apparently they were looking for a great guy and someone who could train hard. Uh-huh. Um, they invited him to... They contacted Millman, and I think he trained with Federer. It was either in Switzerland or Stuttgart. I don't remember. But they trained for about a week or so. They know each other. They know each other really well. Um, so it's not like this match. They you know weren't familiar with each other. They actually know each other pretty well. Uh huh. Um, how much that influenced the match, I don't know. But I mean, I think it's, I think any time unseated player beats like. One of the greats, it's incredibly, like, even if they play like shit, it's still so hard mentally. Yeah, and this is tough. I mean, Fed, the first set, he played great. Second set, second set, he's up 5-4, 40-15. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's something about this 40-15. I mean, I remember, two, the, remember that 2016 match he played round edge. He uh-huh. was up, serving for the match, 40-15, two double faults. He's playing Anderson, serving for the match, 40-15, two double faults. Mm-hmm. This kind of keeps happening again. Um... I, you know, I don't remember in this moment if he had two double falls, but point is, he's still at 40-15. Frustrating that he couldn't pull it out. Um, obviously, credit to moment for sticking into it and actually making it happen. I mean, that's got to be... I mean, for someone to have so much better and and still win and go for your shots and not feel like you have to go so hard at this point, um, pretty unreal. But I think... I feel like Djokovic just got to win this guy. I, I think he's the heavy favorite right now against Millman. You think it's straights? It, it should be in straights. The only reason I think it could go four, and maybe even five, is because of the heat. And in two, in two of Djokovic matches, he's had issues with the heat. Uh, he, and he, he, his entire career, he's had these moments when he's like about to be, I feel like, truly magnificent, and then he, like, spaces out for a second. Yeah, and even after, like we said in the last episode, too, even after Wimbledon 1, he's still having these kind of sketchy mental lapses. Uh, he looked at the interview before the match with, uh... Yo, I'll get rid of that, my bad. In the interview before the match, he, uh... With, uh, what is that, Tom Rinaldi? I thought he looked, like, really focused, though. Well, I saw little bags under his eyes. Maybe he's... I don't know. Weird. In the, in the match against Gasquet... Um, players, I guess, in between sets allowed to take a medical timeout to see the, I guess, tournament doctor. Uh-huh. Lukovic walks off court and points at his, looks at his coaching box and points at his heart. Points at his heart? Points at his heart. Uh, apparently he was getting his, I heard Tom Rinaldi say, getting his blood pressure checked. Uh-huh. I don't know. That's, I don't, does, that doesn't seem like something that happens often at all in a slam between matches. Um, I don't know if it's the heat or if there's something else going on. He's pretty secretive about his health. So, I don't know. I feel like if tonight, if it's as hot as it was the other night, uh-huh. Millman, obviously super guy, if he can stick the match like he did, steal a set. Yeah, if he can steal a set, anything could happen, huh? I think, honestly, anything could happen. Especially given Djokovic lapses. Why not, right? Why not continue with it? Um, Dude, it's amazing to me that, uh, 
Federer hasn't the last time he won the US Open was 2008. Yeah, unreal. And he'd won it and that he was on that like tear where he would win Wimbledon and US Open. He had won US Open 5 times in a row and he hasn't won it since. Decades. Yeah. That was sad, dude. Um, same for Del Potro. I mean, last time Del Potro won, it's only it's his one slam. What, 2009, nine years ago? Yeah. Wait, have you seen? Uh, do you know anything about Millman's coach? Uh, no, don't know much about but his coach. I looked him up. So they kept showing him. He's like they keep showing this guy who looks about like 20. I think he's like 26, but the guy looks like he's like 20 years old and just looks like a tennis player. And his coach is some. I think he must. They must have like grown up playing together or something. He's like was top 500 in the world. He's like 25 years old. Like, every time they showed this, like, he looks like a boy in his box. That's his coach. Oh, yeah, I did see that. I didn't realize that was his coach. But I guess another fun fact while we're on Mil- Mil- Millman before we move over is, um, uh-huh. this is great for him. He has struggled with injuries. I think he had a shoulder surgery twice and a groin surgery uh-huh. when he turned pro and started playing on the Challenger Tour, on the tour. Uh-huh. because injuries, I think just difficulty, maybe the way he plays or just difficulty being a pro. It took him seven years to get his first ATP win. Um, wow. Seven years. Uh, in between that, at one point, he was working in financial services in Australia. So this guy's kind of done it all. He's had... What was he... Do you know what he was doing in financial services? So, according to Asher Jelani, shout out Asher, uh-huh. working, uh, I think it's a mortgage advisor. Yeah, I was... Asher Jelani, y'all were all asleep last night. I was just messaging him. It was like four... Probably like five, six a.m. in the U.K. And he just keeps responding. Asher, total lad, <laughs> legend, <laughs> up last night, London time, to watch the match. Um, yeah, I, I woke up this morning, got a message from him. He's like, LOL, it's 7.15 in the morning here. I'm still up watching this. Also, he said that he said he thought this match was going to be a cracker. What's a cracker, dude? Man, mate, that match was a cracker. <laughs> a great match. Oh, damn. All right, yeah, it was a cracker. Uh, um, all right. The, uh, all right, let's go Nishikori, Delpo, and then we'll go to the Del team after. That's the most recent, and uh, I feel like there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, Delpo, Nishikori, Chilich. Uh, yeah, Nishikori and Chilich. By Nishikori, I mean Nishikori and Chilich. Yeah. Um, so, dude, uh... Thoughts on uh, all right. Well, Nishikori takes out Cole Schreiber, so that's you. You called uh, you took Cole Schreiber. Yeah, I was I was really surprised with that. Um, I thought Cole Schreiber was in great form. Just Nishikori was just flawless. Like I was so on point, backhand consistently up the line, off the return. Um, Cole Schreiber just looked like just looked uncomfortable. I mean, I guess I guess their head to head is pretty decisive. Nishikori's way, no set has ever gone past six four. Um, so. Something Nishikori does, he, he just kind of neutralizes, I think, what I thought Cole Schreiber's strengths in this match would be. Um, so pretty flawless. And he can, I mean, Chilich, he's 8-6. His head-to-head is 8-6 against um, Chilich. Meaning Nishikori, Nishikori. Yeah, pretty Nishikori, 5-10, Chilich, 6-6. Like, I can't believe that Nishikori could beat him at a major. Yeah, um, U.S. Open too. And all, I, dude, all I want to see, I want to see. I feel like the final I actually want to see is Chilich Delpo. Yeah, because I just feel like them. I would want. I feel like Chilich Delpo. They could literally be playing with like the Wilson, like the old like ninety-three inch Wilson Pro staff. Yeah, just hitting like so old school 
just like ripping forehands. Yeah, pretty amazing. I feel um, like that would have been amazing, but Chilich is down, just kind of sad. If that, it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I would have loved to see him get through. I'm, I'm, I'm su- yeah, I'm su- surprised he lost. I mean, good that it went to five, long match. Um, but dude, he lost on Nishikori broke it, like kept breaking him. It's kind of amazing that like see, I mean, see Chilich broken. I understand Nishikori's like yeah. return, right? Was five of nine on break points. Chilich was six of fifteen. Way less errors. So she scored 45 errors. Tillich had 70. Pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so great match. So, so Nishikori is going to play the winner of Djokovic moment. Um, let's assume Djokovic should be. It may not be, but it should be. Nishikori's beaten Djokovic before though too, right? At big tournaments? I think so. Um, let's, let's see, let's see what uh, I remember, where was that? Oh, it's a, it's a really disproportionate. So, Djokovic, so they played 16 times. Djokovic is 14 and 2. Oh, damn. Okay. That, that's a lot. Um, the last time Nishikori won was at the US Open 2014, which is, he got to the final. Uh, a the last time Nishikori won was, was at the US Open, right? Yeah, semifinals 2014. Yeah, I remember that. Would go to the finals. Um, I feel like, I mean, hard hard to bet against a head-to-head that's so convincing, but I feel like if Nishikori can rest up, get proper rest after this five-setter, uh-huh. it's like the way he's playing. He could take Djokovic. Yeah, that'd be crazy. What about you? I feel like you always say you think Nishikori's game's really boring. What, like, why? Just, just, yes, sometimes, I think sometimes he could play kind of dull tennis. Um... But in matches like both fiber, like like academy tennis, like what yeah. the, what's a cat? Very very you know Nick Bolletary strokes. Um, got the you know spinny Bolletary forehand. Um, I mean, amazing back, but just sometimes not the most exciting player. But then also other times when he's moving a lot side to side match and he starts sliding, hitting those forehands on the stretch and pulling the back and up the line. I think he's pretty uh-huh. strange to watch, but not not my favorite player to just watch all his matches. Yeah. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Chow. So steady. Like when you're like... So steady. The way he plays is like, I feel like when you grow up, like, the way coaches tell people to play, assuming that, like, so not everyone has weapons, is like, basically try and become the... Yeah, he's, got, he's got a lot of firepower, though. He's hitting the forehand, I think, bigger than he has past. And his backing is pretty sick, huh? Yeah, and really, really well balanced. And um, I think Michael Chang's done a really good job the last two years coaching him. No, I, Michael Chang's his coach? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's wow. working pretty well. Um, he did really well on the clay season. I think he got to the finals in Monte Carlo. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh-huh. Um, dude, I also feel like Michael Chang would, would have destroyed Djokovic just through pure, like, mental... Uh, yeah, un- underhand serves. Yeah, just throw down some underhand serves. Is he? He's a cheeky player, Michael Chang. He's kind of the original cheeky player. Dude, he was the cheekiest of players. I, uh, yeah. Well, he got his, like, first, US, he won his first U.S. Open match at, like, something like, was he 15 or something? Like, something insanely young. Oh, my God. Turned pro, like, incredibly young. Um, alright, what about, uh, uh, Delpo, dude? Is he up next? Delpo. Dude, Delpo. 
Delpo. Also, wait, who you, who's a better guy, Chilich or Delpo? Because I feel like they're both like six six, and they're both like just seem like great guys. Yeah, I feel like they're both great guys. Dude, you got to choose one. No, mate, they're both. They're both. Uh, who do you think has a? Uh, yeah. All right. All right. All right. Fine. Um, the let's see. All right, Delpo, dude. Thoughts? He's uh, he's got it's him and a doll. It's all set, right? Him and a doll. Friday. So, head does to head. Does that decide the tournament? Uh, have they played before? You know, I mean, does that decide? Is like, is the semifinals? Is the winner of that match the winner of the tournament? Winner of that wins wins the match. And I think I'm going with Del Potro. I think he's here. Well, he's playing. Hey, he's playing so solid. He's got the game to beat the dogs. Beat him before five times. Um, I, I feel and, like any win against Isner late in a tournament is like a great win because no matter what, like. Like Isner's obviously not the greatest, but like I feel like he's hard. Like you can't, he's hard to beat, especially late in a tournament when he's playing pretty well. I think Brad never easy to play him. Brad Gilbert said it well. He's one of the players, maybe one of the best players, who can just completely take the rocket out of your hand. Uh huh. Um. So I think to beat him, it went to four, but it was a pretty comfortable. The, the four that was decisive, but there yeah. was, I mean, two of the sets were breakers, right? Uh, did it? Yeah, I think, I think so. Uh, yeah. I gotta check that. Um, I think the Porter's playing really well. Maybe he's going into this a bit more, um, rested with Nadal after playing four hours, 49 minutes against team. Yeah. And um, Nadal. Right? He is, was that the first set he dropped against Isner? Did he drop any other sets? I think he's, he's just been rolling. Yeah, dude. He's, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's only lost yeah. set. He's only lost one set. All his matches. I mean, yeah, first round he beat Young, straight set. Second set, Kudla. Second round, Kudla straight. Third set, right. Third round, Verdasco straight. Fourth round, Korich straight. Del Potro Isner lost one set. First set in tiebreak. He's rolling. Um, Nadal obviously superhuman. I mean, he's got to think he's going to recover really well. But still, four nine minutes a lot. That was a really physical match. Two, almost three tiebreak sets. So, I think, I feel like Phil Pojo's first serve percentage at the amount of points he's winning on his first serve have been really high. I mm-hmm. think one, I feel like to beat Nadal, you've got to execute really well on the one, one, two punch, not and get into the points and wear you down. Uh, I feel like Phil is doing that really well this tournament. I think he's, I think he's going to beat him. What about, uh, how do you think Del Potro compares to, uh, like, last year, last year's US Open? Because it's kind of a similar matchup, right? I mean, similar, like, the stage is set, he's going to play in a doll, right? Didn't they play last year? Yeah, I think, um, so they, they played last year the same match in the semifinal. Um, and and they, we thought we thought Delpo was rolling last year, too. Right? Rolling. I think they played again this year semifinal. They played again this year semifinal in French Open, too, which... Was really decisive. Six four, six one, six two, and all. I thought the Bo was going to put up more of a of a battle on that one, but it's clay, you know. Uh-huh. Well, Del Po's actually really good on clay, but Nadal just, just can't touch him on clay. But uh, I don't know, mate. I think Del Po is hitting the backhand a little more aggressive this year. Uh huh. He was hitting it last year, but I think last year it had only been a couple months that he'd started to kind of, you know. It, uh, even even the U.S. Open last year, first couple rounds, 
he was hitting really flat the backhand, and I think against team that weird five setter, and he started to kind of hit through the ball. Uh huh. And maybe it just wasn't enough in the in the semi against Nadal and the US Open. I think this year he's had a really consistent year, and he's been hitting it more and more through the ball. So I think I think it's a little different match this year. But I feel like I also feel like Rafa coming off that team match is like like I feel like he needed that match to get focused. Yeah, that was that was great. I love his reaction at the end. Um, um, it's amazing. Also, team, I made the beginning of that match. First couple of sets, he's hitting the ball as hard as dude. Honestly, the whole match, dude, he didn't really let up. I, mean, I uh, ball, I, serving. I think a couple serves close to one thirty. No, dude, he was consistently hitting one thirty three, like a lot. Yeah, he's I feel like I don't know. so strong. Yeah, hitting seriously huge. Um, Wait, this, is, this, is, this is a breakthrough for him. To now, you know, yeah, but I did feel like there was moments, there was moments where he could have pulled away, and I really just felt like it was a case of, of like I'm playing Rafael Nadal, I can't. Like there was like a, a teeny bit of mental like disbelief that I think made it so he didn't. Yeah, too much, too much respect for him. Yeah. Like, and, and I feel like, like, Team has clearly, like, his game is his own, his game, but his game is, he's clearly grew up watching Nadal, and, like, he's a clay quarter, like, he's clearly a little bit modeled off after him. Yeah, no doubt. And so, I just feel like there was something a little bit, like, I can't do this. And, and, like, it, it's, it was, there's definitely one of those moments where, like, there's certain matches where Nadal, something happens, he gets in the zone, and he starts just, like, points get long, and he starts just, like, grooving, and he, he feels, like, truly unstoppable. Yeah, and I felt like Nadal got there, but then there were still moments where like he like he looked like he was like truly in the zone, and then he would like dump a volley, and it felt like Team could have pulled it off. And even it come it coming down to like a really close breaker, just felt like it was Nadal's Rafael Nadal and Dominic Team still isn't like a champion yet. Yeah, yeah, it's gotta be he's so tough. What do you, uh, this is really strange. I noticed this this morning. Mm-hmm. See how this is possible? I don't know. I saw this in the morning. I'm checking it now and it hasn't updated. But if you look at the stack of that match, uh-huh. total points won. Yeah, it was, I think team had more. Yeah, Nadal 166, team 171. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, but that happens, right? Team that in, in stats, usually match this close, this close, it's maybe two or three points the other way, but Team to win five points more, but still lose the match. I think I feel like that's because he was serving really big, so he's winning. He's winning service games like forty fifteen. Um, yeah, crazy. Also, this is this is interesting. Hold on a second, let's see. This so the Chilich Nishikori match today. Five uh-huh. Nishikori distance covered ten thousand seven hundred feet. Uh huh. Nadal distance covered. 15,270 feet. Yeah, that's like, like miles, right? An extra mile, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, what about, any any other thoughts on that, on well, that match? Shout out IBM for the, for the, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, IBM. Um, <laughs> uh, what about, uh, dude, can you talk about Nadal, Carlos Moya, and like what? I think that's my favorite coaching matchup. Is it? Like, a first, talk, listen, can we just talk about Carlos Moya as like, because I feel like he was like a consi- like perennial top five player when we were growing up, when we were like much younger. Yeah, so 
Unreal, World Number One, won the French probably, Open. Probably the first guy to wear the the this cutoff. Yeah, he's like the original Nadal. He's like the original Nadal. Had the lettuce flow, ripped, and also hit the. Uh, and and he was like the guy who started like side topspin. He was just side topspin forehands. Also, one of the biggest inside out forehands. And dude, I remember when I was younger, I was watching this match. I think it's like one of the longest points ever. Moya broke a string, and then he just had a push. So he pushed for like ten. He was it was like ten more ball, like ten more rallies after. Oh, we gotta go to the archives and find that. But also, Moya pretty cheeky. One of those guys who didn't really bend his knees on the serve. <laughs> I just <laughs> tossed the ball up, took it back, and just slammed it. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty funny. Um, sick guy. Won the. Uh, also, I feel like he has one of the lamest tattoos. Yeah, it's just this kind of the sleeve tribal tattoo. Yeah, it's kind of like a 1990s beach guy tattoo, right? He was like, like at a, he was like partying in Ibiza or something. Like his favorite movie was The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. Maybe Wait, is that true? No, no, I'm saying like maybe, maybe he's you know playing playing a tournament in you know Hamburg, watches that on a day off, and gets the tribal tattoo. Oh, the other thing about Moya is every time I think about Moya, I think of the original Pure Drive. That's the best racket. Dude, the original Pure Drive, just that, that like, matte blue paint job. Oh, my God. Remake the original Pure Drive, I think it's one of the best rackets. Or remake the original Pure Drive with a 98 square inch head size. Or just keep the current Pure Drive, but with a 98 square inch head size. Uh-huh. I think it would be amazing. I'm really into that. Carlos Moya, yeah, I'm not sure about that tattoo though. I wonder what Nadal thinks about that tattoo. Thinks about uh, that. Tattoo. Oh, wait, what was that video? Nadal, he beat Moya at age 16, right? Yeah, when he was 16 years old. Unreal. Um, Brett, that was a Brett Francis share. Yeah, no, yeah, I think it was Brett Francis share. Um, no, but, but um, I'm really into the Nadal uh, Moya. Dude, when, did you notice when they kept somehow? Uh, Ben Stiller was sitting in their box. Yeah. And they kept, like, he was sitting, like, just next to uh, uh, Nadal's dad. And so they would kept, like, they wanted to show, like, Nadal's dad and maybe, like, Uncle Tony or whoever else was sitting there. But, like, the amount of screen time Ben Stiller got, I don't know how, he was literally, like, in their box. So it was, like, Ben Stiller and the Nadals. Um, ben Stiller, Nadal posted an Instagram a couple days ago after one of his matches. Actually, it was it was second round after he played Pospisil. Uh-huh. He posted a match inside Ash, like in the locker room with Ben Stiller, saying like, "Thanks for watching my match, Ben." It was pretty funny. I feel like I feel like it's because Nadal like probably loves Zoolander or something. But really funny though, Chris Fowler had a really funny line last night uh-huh. when they showed Ben Stiller in the Nadal box. Chris Fowler goes, "Ben Stiller has had the opportunity tonight." Meet the parents. It and says it says online that they joined. He joined Nadal's family. But he made, he made that when he supported the team. The joke about meet the parents. Uh huh. On just goes, "Oh my god, how long have you been waiting to say that? That was terrible." Um, pretty funny, classic McEnroe. Dude. Um. Pretty good, Chris Fowler. But yeah, that was pretty funny seeing uh, Ben Stiller. He also looked kind of nervous in the box, like maybe he was distracting Nadal. Yeah, have you seen he plays? Have you seen him play tennis, dude? No, he probably slices a lot though. Yeah, I feel like he's got like a really 
I once got a pretty goofy forehand. Racket dispensler use. Maybe like one of the old head TI. <laughs> like the, the, one that, the one that's like the like the classic like black and silver head. Like the no the classic like uh, granny racket that you used to feed balls like the TI six <laughs> two. The one with like the hundred thirty. Yeah, yeah, 130 square inches. Because um, I want to talk about Nadal, Federer, Goat conversation. Oh, I, that's another episode. That's a pod. That's another episode. No, but dude, I think I think it's worth touching on today because I feel like the uh, the reasons I think Nadal might be the greatest player of all time were like all shown in that match and all shown in Federer's loss. Man, I think that's too simplistic of a. No, but like the whole, I I don't. It felt like because it, it it you, like, you can say the same thing about other tournaments where Nadal, you know, had to retire because his knees were hurting at the end of the year. Whereas I, Federer, he had he had like the stretch where he was injured and he just like kind of stopped playing. It seems like maybe he was going to retire. Yeah. But all the time in his career when he's been like truly competing for titles, like like for Grand Slams, he gets to these points where he feels like. Like truly unbeatable, and I think besides when Federer was uh, like the Federer erotic years, when I think tennis was like pretty decisively worse than it is now, he uh, and worse than it's been the last like kind of like mid like like twenty tens. I, I don't think it was. I don't Federer. think it was worse. You could have, there was still I mean, there was amazing players, but now Bandian, Ferrero, um, like Juan Carlos. Uh, and you've got, uh, and you've got Roddick. But dude, I don't think, it's not this, I don't think that's like the same. I mean, Federer would just, just like, surgically disassemble Roddick's game every time they played. Yeah. And I just feel like Nadal, that doesn't happen. And then I was looking at their stats today, and like, I think they said now Nadal has 17 Grand Slams. Yeah. Which is the same that Federer had at his age. And Nadal has like, already, he has, I think he has the most Masters 1000. Uh, titles of all, like, ever? I think Djokovic has the most. Let's look it up. I think it's Nadal. And Djokovic also, this year, winning Cincinnati, has won all nine slams. Oh, sorry, all nine masters. It's pretty unreal. That's pretty sick. Um, alright. Nadal and Djokovic together held nine master 1000 crowns starting in 20... Nah. Can we get a, uh... Well, I guess regardless, Nadal has more than than Federer, and he also. Uh, but like, okay, let's just say Nadal wins this U.S. Open. He gets to eighteen. Yeah. He's probably going to win in French at least one more time. I don't know if Federer's going to win another Grand Slam. Nadal could easily get to twenty. If he gets to twenty, is he is he the greatest or is he like I don't know, mate? It's this is super tough. Dude, you gotta make a decision. I feel like everyone is like so in love with Federer's poetry, and like he's like so in his grace, and it's true he's graceful. But like Nadal just plays with like rage and fire, and he is. I feel like like when he's good, he's he's like truly unbeatable. And I don't. And I feel like the best version of Nadal and the best version of Federer, and you can make that art like you can like it's a legitimate comparison because they played in the same era, and I feel like it didn't overlap perfectly. But I I feel like you can't. Like, Nadal wins. I mean, I think you're letting Federer's pretty awful performance on... No, no, I felt like this for a while, dude. We've talked about this before. Yeah, but you're forgetting. 
Federer in top form is... And you, like, fix your RF hat, I feel like. Yeah, but Federer in top form is unreal, mate. Amazing spot swimming, unbelievable but, forehand. But Nadal beats him. Like, Nadal still beats him. Look at their head-to-head. It's, I mean, not each time. I mean... But they're, they're, I think their Grand Slam head-to-head when they were both, like, particularly the years when they were the best, like, Nadal eventually, I feel like, starts to take, just, just got better. Like, like, I think that Wimbledon match, where, like, some people say it's the greatest of all time, kind of says it all, dude. When Nadal wins in five at Wimbledon, playing on, like, what is kind of, his, like, the least favorable surface for his game. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I you know, it, it's, it's tough to take it just off the number of slams. Oh. I feel like you're another one of the just, like, in love with fetters, like, the James Bond, dude. And people just can't – I feel like Nadal is, is like, pretty close. If, 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 okay, let's say he finishes with more Grand Slams. Who are you Who are you taking? Too early to say. May. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's see. Winning four Grand Slams isn't – Let's wait for him to get to at least 20. We have that conversation. Dude. Do we have anything else? Uh, right, I want to finish, I want to finish with, uh, let's talk about US Open branding, dude. Yeah, we got a lot of talk about that. And like, I feel like that's, I feel like that's its own episode and like, it's, I feel like it's intertwined with American tennis, but like, this year, they, okay, 50th year anniversary of the US Open and they redid the logo and the logo looks like, I feel like it's like if the Koch brothers, like the Koch brothers knew someone on the, uh, on the U.S. Open, like, foundation, whatever, like, chairman of the board, like, the board of, of, like, the U.S. Open Foundation or USTA, and it's like their, like, their nephew's clip art or something. It's like the worst, it's a terrible logo. Yeah, it's horrible. It's an amazing occasion to celebrate the 50th year of the Open uh-huh. Tennis, to just not do anything exciting with the logo. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just, if you look at how sick Adidas Pharrell collaboration was last year. Uh-huh. And this year they stripped all personality by getting rid of like the other, they, they, got, rid of, they got rid of the Adidas, they're like, like the main, the other Adidas store, they just kept that one at the entrance. Yeah, it was kind of bland, like, it was really weird. But the, just the whole thing is like, it's so J.P. Morgan, it's very like, fine, it's just like New York finance, which I feel like we get, but like. They they don't there's like very little involvement of like other pieces of New York culture in the entire branding of the US Open. It's really poor branding. It's really poor branding, yeah. Um and I just feel like it, it's basically like it's like American Express and JP Morgan. That's like the US Open's branding. It's the USDA. They constantly disappoint. The stadium roof clearly uh-huh. has some structural flaw. The branding is pretty poor. And three I mean, I, to like, you compare like the aesthetics to like Wimbledon or Roland Garros. I mean, the Roland Garros logo is much better. Or, or the Australian Open logo with the classic trophy position serve. I mean, they yeah. redesigned that; it looks good. Uh-huh. Uh, so look at look at the dismal state of U.S. tennis and USTA. Uh-huh. Not surprising that they disappoint. So yeah, I mean, Jared Donaldson's got to carry the torch, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all on Jared Donaldson. Jared Donaldson and who else? Supposed to have Ryan Harrison. Ryan Harrison. He's like washed up now, though. Yeah. Um. All right, dude. We are. Uh. That's like 
just about 40 minutes. Why don't we talk about your Spanish class for a minute? Uh, I got to Spanish class yesterday. Dude, came in with the headphones on. So, like, I looked like, uh, it was kind of like, yo, prof, gotta finish my Drake. <laughs> I gotta let this Drake song finish. That's pretty curious, right? Yeah, dude, it was very, I was thinking about curious the entire time. Um, and then, uh, our class, the, uh, I don't know what else, dude. I, uh, it was chill. I also, um, I guess, dude, we should give a shout out. I feel like we got a lot of good feedback. Uh, and it basically just our friends reaching out saying that they like, uh, they gave us a listen. And I felt like we both, uh, felt the most into like Elias sending us a message. Yeah, I think Elias was the most, uh, prestigious comment. Cause I feel like he's, he spent like enough time in Berlin where it's like, it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but we got a lot of good, we got a lot of good feedback from Elias. Um, Asher just mentioned Anthony. Ryan Jones tried to buy it. And Jones, Anna. Oh yeah, Anna Kobara. What uh, up, dude? The real thing is, will Ewan listen? Did you wait? Ewan listen? No, will he? Oh, well, we gotta find out. We gotta find out. I think. Uh, I think Rory listened to it. Ewan's like an amazing doubles player. Yeah, he is a really good doubles player. Um, <laughs> always had a coach really well. Um, wait, I think, I think Rory listened to it. Maybe John Rain London. Shout out John. Um, who else listened? Uday? Uday Keith? Yo, Uday. Mike Levine? Who else? Oh, yeah. Mike Levine, Mike Levine had this to say. He said that our logo looked like either we went to no art school or we went to a lot of art school. <laughs> but he's agreed to do on. Oh, Jerry Stratos? Stratos. Jerry Stratos? Shout out to Stratus. He said it's got to be 40 minutes, and we just hit the 40-minute mark. 40. Um, Brett Francis. Anything uh, Anything going on in Seinfeld, dude? Uh, just classic Seinfeld. Great episode. Um, been switching back and forth between Seinfeld and the Millman match. We give a quick of what our next episode is going to be. We'll recap semis. All right, yeah, next episode. So we're going to – we got to recap all the semifinal matches and then uh, and then look forward to the finals, right? Yeah. Uh, and let's see, um, I'm curious to see what happens with Joker's moment. Uh, he lost the first set three, but it looked like last couple games he's trying to get in the match a bit more, a little more comfortable. And they kept showing, they kept showing Jokovic's girlfriend who looked really worried at the beginning of the set. Yeah. Um, hey, like I said, Jokovic should win this straight, but I, I, I think if it can go to four, if, he, if I think if Milman can get one set, something weird could happen.